Welcome to the Food Science Snob. Hey guys, welcome back to the pod. I know it's been a hot minute. I hope you all haven't forgotten about me, but if you have, I mean, I can't really blame you because I, for like the 12th time now, have gone MIA. Um, And a lot has changed since my last episode upload, actually. Like, for example, in the last episode, I had a special guest, my boyfriend Jordan, who is now my husband Jordan. And he's actually here in the studio with me once again. So say hi, Jordan. Hey, everybody. It's great to be back. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So after all the wedding shenanigans, I made a promise to myself. Um, Do you remember what that promise was, Jordan? Um, You told me that you're going to bring back the podcast. And Mm -hmm. so uh, it's about a year later, but we're finally doing it. We're here. We're in a recording studio. We're we're recording this thing. So uh, we're really going to try to make this last for the long haul this time, right? That's the plan. That's the plan, yeah. Um, So the reason that I actually have Jordan on this episode is because today's episode is inspired by our wedding day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So today's mystery is all about freezing. More specifically, can you really freeze a slice of cake and have it taste just as magical a year later? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I'm assuming this is relating to our wedding cake because our one year is coming up. And what they say is that you're supposed to freeze at least one slice of that cake. So then the, the next year, the, the top year later. layer, not just a slice. Yeah. Okay. My bad. So the top layer, not the slice. And that reminds me, our wedding planner actually talked about that. And she told us to not even do the whole freeze the top layer. And, and she said, just eat it now and then go buy a new cake a year later. Um, yeah. Which was interesting. Um, I never heard that before, but that did get us thinking about, you know, do people actually do that? And I think that's why this is kind of where this podcast idea came from or this in, this episode idea. Yeah. yeah. So just in case there are any traditionalists out there, I thought we'd go over a little bit of the history of wedding cake preservation and how to do it. Okay. So um, do you know where the history of wedding cake preservation came from? I have no idea. Like so none. Maybe actually, Europe or something? Yeah. It's actually a British tradition um, where they would save the top layer of their wedding cake for either like whatever came first, the one year anniversary or their christening of their child. So the whole idea behind this was that the symbolization of recycling a piece of your wedding cake would bring celebration and joy and good luck to your child for the rest of the years to come. Gotcha. Okay. And the reason that this tradition worked well is because they were using really hearty cakes, like fruitcake. Mm. That will be important later on. So remember that. Ugh, I hate fruitcake. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> It's <do> disgusting. <laughs> okay, so I thought I would explain the steps. Okay, so, please go through it. The first step is you have to know your cake. So delicate cakes, like angel food cake, will most likely become stale quicker during the freezing process Mm. and cakes with fillings like fruit or custard or things like that are just gonna lose their texture and not even be worth saving at all okay um but if you have a heartier cake like something with chocolate carrot hazelnut fruit cakes for example those will have a much better chance of lasting throughout the year so what i'm hearing is the more thick or the heartier the cake the more the cake has in it in terms of like substance the odds of it freezing better or lasting longer, it goes up. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Basically, you're just trying to preserve the texture as as much as possible. And you need things with texture to keep that texture going. Is that a good way to put it? Sure. (laughs) You gave me that look. (laughs) But you know, like 
fruits and, and, and chocolates, those that adds some, some natural texture to the cake. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. if it was just like flour, yeast, egg, whatever, that's that will lose its texture quicker. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So after we've identified <laughs> what cakes are worth the test, we uh-huh. have to move on to the actual steps of freezing. Okay. So the first step is to pre-freeze your cake. Gotcha. So you'll need to put the cake in the fridge with nothing covering it until the icing on your cake gets to like a rock hard status. Okay. That's when you're ready to move on to the next step. This hard layering of the icing will help protect that cake texture that we're trying to preserve mm, here. Gotcha. More texture. Texture. Texture is key, is what I'm hearing. Yes. So, <laughs> step two is to wrap it up like you're taking it on a winter vacation. Mm. You'll need to wrap it loosely mm-hmm. in a multiple layers mm-hmm. of plastic wrap. Okay. Question. Mm-hmm. Can you do foil or only plastic wrap? Um, plastic wrap is definitely the recommended use because... Foil, it's hard to like get it to fold over correctly. There could be to, air to bubbles. Seal, yeah. Yeah. To, to keep it to keep and it nice also, and airtight. I feel like the aluminum foil taste might bleed into it a little bit, maybe. The aluminum foil I've never heard that one before. The you aluminum never, foil taste. You've never had like iron taste in your food from like aluminum foil? Not that I am aware of, no. but now I'm every time I use it, I'm gonna think this tastes like iron. <laughs> It's not every time, just when it's been sitting for a very long time. Okay, okay, interesting. So, I did not know that. That's Wow, I'm learning a lot. Yeah. Okay, so on to step three. Finally, we're going to freeze this cake for the long haul. Gotcha. So you're going to put it in an airtight container. Um, you can use like a cake box, Tupperware, whatever is your choice. If you are using a cake box, though, I recommend wrapping the cake box in plastic wrap after you put it in there just so that... You know, no air is leaking through the cake box. What is a cake box? Just like a box cake like, goes you into? Know, like those white like cake boxes that you get from the baker, and they have like a little flap on it usually. Yeah. Well, it looks like Chinese takeout kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of those. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So now we're on to step four. It's been a year later. We're finally going to eat this cake. But before you can actually eat this cake, you're going to have to let it thaw. And a two-step process. So first, you're going to take the cake out 24 to 48 hours before you want to eat it in the fridge. Okay. Let it sit there. And then, before serving it, you'll take it out of the fridge two to three hours at room temperature. And then you can finally eat this cake. Okay. So clearly, there's a lot of steps here to freeze this cake for the long haul. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. And it sounds like a lot of work. It sounds like a lot of people do this. But I guess my question I have is, is it even worth it? Because we all know that like freezer burns a thing. So, I mean, would you say that it's worth the hassle? Like, will the cake still taste good a year later? And a more important question, is it still safe to eat a year later? I mean, or it's definitely it safe to eat. doesn't have to be a year later. Whatever, how long it ever it is. do want to eat it a year later is the question. Because, I mean, chances are that you're probably going to miswrap something or something's going to go wrong. Your fridge might go out between a year and now. You never know. Honestly, I agree with my with our wedding planner and just say, eat that cake when you get home from the wedding. I mean, wedding cake, you know, good snack. But also, like, just buy a new cake. Like, it's not even worth the hassle, in my opinion, at least. Consider the Smith Slade. Yeah, I mean, that, that would make sense. I mean, I put Eggo waffles in the freezer for more than two months, and they taste really nasty, so... 
Yeah. Granted, I don't go through all those steps to preserve my egg. Yeah, I was going to say, you don't even wrap the, the <laughs> yeah, plastic I literally back will. <laughs> Don't judge me. I will open that little <laughs> bag and just throw it back in there and just pray for the best. Okay. Yeah. But anyways, since we're on the topic of freezing, I thought we'd talk about a few more freezing myths out there. Let's get snobby. So the first one is, I have to freeze my food the day that I purchase it. So... I feel like that myth is not true. Like you definitely can just put it in the fridge for a little while, right? Until it expires. That would be my assumption. Yeah, you're correct. So as long as it's put in the freezer before the use by date, then that food is fair game to freeze. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, obviously fresh is ideal, but yeah, as long as it's before that use by date, you should be good to go. Gotcha. So I guess then... The question becomes like, okay, so you can freeze your food before that expiration date, right? And I think most people know that. Mm -hmm. But then I guess my question is, let's say I bought chicken from the grocery store. I bring it back. I freeze it for, I don't know, two weeks, whatever. I let it thaw out. I then cook some of that chicken, but I still have some left over. Can I then freeze that chicken that I'd already frozen once? Can I refreeze meat that I've already frozen once? Mm, If it's raw, no. But if you cook it, and then refreeze it. That's fine. Okay, but why? you can't have it raw because basically you're already pushing this chicken to like the the extent of its lifeline mm-hmm. for microorganism growth to not happen. And then you're letting it sit on the counter, in the fridge, wherever you're defrosting it, which is creating more of a hotbed for these microorganisms, bacteria to multiply. And you're just asking, begging, basically, for the chance to get sick off this meat. So so basically what I'm hearing, from my understanding, which is limited, that freezing the meat's not actually going to kill the bacteria. It just kind of puts it on pause. We'll get into that later. Okay. Sorry. My bad. <laughs> just more things happen to it. Usually we'll have life or longer life shelf. So things like sausage, hot dogs, lunch meat, bacon, those things can last about two months in okay. the freezer before any, like, real you know, freezer burn, deterioration happens. Um, Homemade leftovers usually can last about three months. Fresh poultry and meat, if they're wrapped correctly and taken care of, can last six months to a year in the freezer. And ground beef is usually about four months. Okay, so yeah, there's quite a bit of different like rules here. Yeah. (laughs) So basically what I'm hearing, processed meat, not as long, but more like fresh meat, longer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So let's say I take my hot dogs, I froze them, I put them in the freezer in the deep freeze. I forget about them for three months, four months, whatever it is. I pull it out and these bad boys got freezer burn. Am I screwed? Is it done? Like like what's the next step here with the with the freezer burn? And what I guess my question is like we all know what freezer burn is in theory, but like what is it actually? And is it salvageable once that food gets freezer burn? Um, so short answer, yes, kind of. So basically, freezer burn is a term used for those dry, icy patches that appear on food when it's been frozen for too long. And this happens due to a process called sublimation, which is when the substance changes from a solid directly into a gas. So you're skipping the liquid phase here. Mm -hmm. So basically what's happening is the cold air is drawing out the water in your food. 
and it's causing it from going from solid in your food, like ice crystals, straight to a gas, which leaves air pockets. And these air pockets are what will frost over and become the freezer burnt part of your food. So it's essentially like dehydrating your food. Yeah, basically. Okay. I can see how that would make it taste bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you can't salvage it. Once it's there, it's there. Yeah. Unfortunately, freezer burn is irreversible. But just because it's freezer burn doesn't mean you can't eat it. I mean, you can still eat it. I wouldn't, you know, it won't probably taste as good. But it's not like unsafe to eat because it's freezer burned. So if the end times do happen, in theory, you can just eat that freezer burned food for as long as you need. Yeah. <laughs> it might have some awful taste and some un- off-putting textures. I think at that point, that would be the least of your worries, though, you know? I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's good to know. Okay. Um, so I do have another question, too, if you don't mind. Um, you tell me, would circle back to the whole bacteria. Freezing doesn't actually kill the bacteria. Can we talk more about that? So just like we just talked about, freezing doesn't, just because something is frozen for a long time doesn't mean that it's unsafe to eat. Freezing for a long time won't cause like mold growth or bacteria growth, but it won't kill it either. It will just pause it. Mm. So you're basically just like hitting pause when you put your chicken or whatever it is into the freezer. That's insane. Yeah. So, would, but cooking it, like that will actually kill the bacteria. So basically, freezing will just inactivate these microorganisms until the food is thawed. And once again, once this food is thawed, the water activity of the food will get back up, and this will cause bacterial, mold, whatever, to be able to become active again in your food. And the only way to get rid of those microorganisms is by applying a heat step. Okay, so um, heat kills bacteria. Good to know. Um, something I've always wondered, too, like when I go to the grocery store and I have the option between like buying you know, like fresh green beans or frozen green beans in a bag, um, I feel like I always thought in my head that the frozen green beans are going to be less nutritious because they've been frozen. They're not as fresh. Is that true? Is the frozen food less nutritious nutritious than the, uh, the, 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 the fresh food? Yeah, so this is probably the biggest misconception out there when it comes to frozen foods. So frozen fruits and vegetables can actually be just, be just as nutritious or even more nutritious than their fresh counterparts. So basically what happens is when frozen fruits and vegetables are picked, they're usually picked at the peak ripeness and flash frozen then in that moment, which will lock in all the freshness and flavor of the produce at that time. When you get fresh fruit, they usually pick it a little bit before so that it's hitting the ripeness when you pick it up at the store. So you're not getting all the nutritional value that that fruit could have had because it's picked a little bit prematurely. Okay. So yeah, it's like when you freeze that vegetable or that fruit, you're locking it in right when it was picked, right when it's ripe, right when it's got everything in there. That's interesting. Because you would think, because I guess in my head, I think, oh, that's like processed green beans. Like that's not going to be as good. And I mean, I prefer like the fresh, like pick it up at the, like, you know, the, the produce section, but that's good to know. Yeah, I mean, obviously, when it comes to, like, texture, taste, those kind of things, fresh is usually the way to go because it will have that, you know, true to to vegetable texture, I guess, that you're looking for. But if you're just making, like, a casserole or just need vegetables quick, you know, it's definitely not wrong to use 
frozen fruits and vegetables. Yeah, like every time we make fried rice, I just like get the frozen bag or something like that. Like, yeah, or soup or something. Usually just use like frozen. Yeah, unless you're making like Brussels sprouts or fresh green oh. beans. Oh, well, that's, yeah, that's an over Then buy fresh definitely Brussels buy the fresh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then air fry those bad boys and then put a little bit of a nice little honey sauce in there. And mm, that is so good. Mm-hmm. That is so good. Okay, so this is all really interesting. We're learning about, you know, freezing, nutritional value, all those things. And I know, I think we briefly discussed this earlier, but thawing, you know, the food and how you properly thaw. And so I remember, I'm sure you remember this because this was rather traumatic, but right around Thanksgiving time, um, it wasn't like Thanksgiving Day, but it was during that time we made a turkey. And I remember, Ariel, we didn't properly thaw the turkey. Like, you're supposed to thaw it, what, like three or four days beforehand? We or me? Yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, because one of us woke up at 6.30 a.m. to defrost the turkey, and one of us slept in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Basically, it was my first time making a turkey, and I did not realize that you're supposed to let them defrost three to four days in the fridge. In advance. Before you want to cook it. Yeah. I thought it was like chicken, throw it in the night before, good to go. Yeah. I was definitely wrong about that. I mean, I would have thought this. Yeah. So I had to wake up at 6.30 in the morning. And um, give that bad boy a shower. Yeah, more like a shower bath. I had to, you know, clean out the sink, obviously, first. Put it in the sink. And you're supposed to let it run uh, cold water over in 30-minute segments. Um, and just let the water run continuously for 30 minutes at a time. And then flip it, and then repeat, and flip it, and repeat mm. until it's defrosted. How long did it so take you? I think I finally started cooking the turkey at, like, 3.30 that afternoon. Oh, my Lord. I bet the water bill. Huh, I don't even want to think about that. It was worth it, though, because we had a nice, delicious, juicy turkey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I definitely have my battles with food. The turkey was really good. It actually really was. It was delicious. I'm sorry. <laughs> Between that and then constantly forgetting to freeze our chicken before it goes bad or defrosting the chicken and time to cook dinner. Um, I definitely could take my own advice here and learn to be better about my freezing and defrosting habits. Which brings us to the last point of today's episode. Freezing your food is only half of the battle. You also have to defrost it. So, yeah, don't forget that. Yeah, and like defrosting, you mean by like giving it the proper time it needs to thaw. Unless you want to give it a shower. Or throw it in the microwave and put it on defrost mode, which in my experience is kind of iffy. Yeah, so definitely defrosting in the fridge overnight or so many hours before is like the most effective, um, easiest way to defrost. You never want to defrost your food in a warm place where microorganisms and bacteria can grow. So if you are going to defrost in the microwave, uh, make sure that you're doing it at the 50% setting so that you're not... Um, cooking the outside of your food while you're defrosting the inside of your food. Um, And never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever leave it on the counter to defrost. That is just asking for you to get sick. So in the fridge the night before is the way to go. Okay. that's. I think that kind of settles my question there. Thank you. Yeah. So that's a wrap for this episode, I guess. I mean, this has been a really good episode. I'm, I'm glad we're back. And I also wanted to say... Um, if you guys notice a little bit of a difference in mic quality, we've kind of improved some of the equipment. So I hope that we sound crisp and uh, nice. 
I hope it sounds like we're right there in talking your in your ear. Like, hello, hello. Talking about turkeys and bacteria. I hope you feel like we're right there. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Until next time, stay cool. Yeah. Bye. Bye, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the Food Science Snob Podcast. Please leave a like, comment, review. That really helps us out. Stay snobby.